The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Ferfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim my whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. And here we are yet again. Hello again. Welcome. (laughs) This is the first podcast that we've done in 2012, and I can't believe it's been nine months. It's like one of us gave birth to something. Nine months, that's a long gestation. We were waiting for the season three. We were actually, what is season eight? Season eight? How long is my show? (laughs) That's It's Me or the Dog. I was like... See, It's Me or the Dog is still so ingrained in my brain. It's because you just finished another season. I have. Let's talk about, so, so much has happened in the last nine months. Yes, you have finished another It's Me or the Dog season. Yes, it just aired and it did really, really well. That's our eighth season. I cannot wow. believe it. Yeah, you dealt with uh, quite a few issues in the dog world. Uh, we can get specifically to issues this season because I know I have a lot to bring them up uh, to you. But I also want to talk about Europe because you actually just came back from a huge European swing I did, and I luckily had four seminars in Europe. So first of all, I went to Finland, then we went to Italy, and then we were in England, and then we went to Ireland. So four different countries in five weeks. And it was great because my husband could come with me, my daughter could come with me, and every weekend I'd be doing a seminar, but then during the week we could travel. So for a little girl to be taken to Rome to see the Colosseum and all of this kind of stuff, I think after a while she was a bit bit bored of seeing (laughs) ancient stuff. And when I ask her, in fact, she's here with me right now, um, Alex, my dearest daughter, what was your most favorite thing? Wait, now, how old are you now, Alex? I'm eight. You're eight now. Okay. All right. And what grade would that put you in? Third. So you're learning history and historical things, right? Not history. Not yet. But you you got a lot of history this summer, didn't you? Yeah. So what was the coolest thing about this summer's trip through Europe? Going to a theme park and riding on a roller coaster. All right, so seriously. Oh. Here we are. We are in Rome, <laughs> all right? We are seeing the, things like the Colosseum, St. Peter's Basilica, all of these incredible, incredible sights. And what does my daughter say? is the best thing that she did when she was in Italy was to go to a theme park and ride. What ride was it? Bumbo. Bumbo. What's Bumbo? It's Bombo and... Oh. Um, Get it right, Holly. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's a kind of medium roller coaster. Oh, that's good. Okay. Those are the kind of roller coasters I like. Gotcha. Yeah. Kind of medium. like Thunder Mountain in Disney World. I see. But did you not just love seeing all these old buildings and the Coliseum where they used to do so many great things and so many not so great things and there were so many people there that lived so long ago? I really actually did. Oh, you did? Well, what was your favorite thing about England? Going to see my grandma and going to Wagamama. What's Wagamama? It's a restaurant. Oh, They've they got to have them over here in America. <laughs> Wagamama is an awesome Japanese restaurant, a whole chain of Japanese restaurants in England. Oh, wow. Um, and, or in Great Britain, I should say. And uh, it's a favorite thing to do. And literally, should, should, you about eat the whole restaurant when you go there, don't you? Yeah. So you went to Finland, you went to England, you went to Italy. So what did you, what was the one thing that you learned that you brought home with you? One thing, she's looking at me going, what? What did you learn? Did you learn anything while you were there? Anything at the Coliseum was a really was a really big place that contains killing. There you go. <laughs> so yes. it wasn't such a great place. No. But they also had like big rallies and stuff there too, right? But you see the more I think what Alex is alluding to is that the kind of the gory details, the more interesting. So, you know, we did learn a lot about the gladiators and how they fought and how, unfortunately, they used all kinds of animals to fight and and how it was a pretty gory time. Um, Kids sort of drink that up. 
Whereas <laughs> I loved the forum. I mean, I loved the ancient forum. Wasn't that amazing? I love it too. Okay. So not so gory, but politically gory. I right. Think, probably. <laughs> Um, but it really wasn't amazing. And Finland was so beautiful too. Yes. What the, the crazy thing about Finland was that, um, you know, we were going there during the summertime and of course it's light practically 24 hours time, a day. Yeah. So you're walking around Helsinki at midnight and it's like you're shopping at four o'clock in the afternoon. Right. It is bizarre. Right. So that was, that was, took some getting used to, but I mean, I, I'll talk a bit about my European tour as we go through the podcast because there's so much mm-hmm. meat uh, that, that I want to talk about and so many amazing people that I met there. And hopefully we can have some of them, uh, interview some of them during these podcasts. But it, it just was a great experience. I think a great experience to see how other cultures, also how they deal with dogs. And I have to say Finland I love because shot collars are banned. Oh. No prong collars. Wow. Choke chains, yes, people still use them, but not a lot of people use them. They are so much further advanced, as it were, in their way of training, the way of thinking about dogs, the way they they treat them so humanely. And also, what is interesting, there's no rescue shelters because there's no... No stray dogs. Are you I mean, kidding? if there is, if there is, a, if there is a stray dog, then it's taken to the police station and it's going to get adopted in two seconds. So, the only way that they do rescue is pull dogs from other countries. For example, Spain, the Galgos, which are the racing kind of greyhound mm-hmm. um, dogs in Spain that are bought up, or dogs that um, from Romania, surrounding countries, are bought into Finland so that people can adopt them. So it sounds to me that uh, Finland really has sort of that positive training. They don't do the dominance training without sh- all those horrible shot collars and the prong collars and things like that. They are certainly further advanced than we are. And it was really refreshing. In fact, Denmark and Sweden, same thing. You know, England itself is is getting there. America is still really far behind. But it was so refreshing for me as a positive trainer to go and think, oh, my gosh, this is how it's done. And look, there are no shelter dogs here. There are no shelters. There are very few strays. There's not an issue. And you've got so many well-behaved dogs. And you've got so many well-behaved dogs, even though they haven't been trained using shock or mm-hmm. on prong collars. Or, but that was just fantastic for me to see it. So that we could sort of use them as a model then to say this is where we need to be. What is it going to take for us, though, to get to that point? Oh, my gosh, a whole complete 180 turn in attitude. But, and this is the subject of my third book that I um, is going to be coming out in March 2012. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on in um, later podcasts. But it, it's the sort of the whole attitude. It's mm-hmm. going to take a long time to change people's perception of the way they treat and train dogs. And uh, I think America definitely does have a long way to go. And, of course, you know. Dominance training appeals to that sort of that macho quality of, hey, I can dominate this lesser being and get it to do what I want it to do for me through force, which is just so unbelievably sad. And I have to say, I want to start off my podcast by saying, I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. It's done. Enough is enough. We have had enough of dominance trainers out there. We have had enough of pack leader theory, of alpha schmelther. That's what I say. I've had enough of it. We can be like Finland. We can be like Sweden. We can be like Denmark. We can change. And it's not because these people are weak at all. It's because they understand. And that's what this nation needs is a better understanding of what dogs need in order to be successful. And it is not to be dominated into submission. That's really prime, very medieval prime, primal sort of thinking. And, and I agree with you because I'm sorry, we watched the Olympics this summer and I saw those, uh, uh, athletes from Finland and, and from Sweden. And I got to tell you, there's nothing not macho about them. They're amazing. So I think it's, you're right. It's just our frame of mind and the way they think, but it's fascinating because I did not know that about Finland. So it's something that I want to now look, I want to read, I want to read about what they do and how they did it because I want to be able to say, I want to do this here. So thank you for that because I think the more we know, the more we can do. You're welcome. Uh, we have, it's the poster child, the way things should be done. Well, let's do it. Let's all become Finland in the United States. Fabulous. Love it. Okay. What have you been doing? Oh, you know, well, um, let's see. Lots of stuff. Um, CNN, plug it along. I'm doing now uh, travel stories and medical stories for them, which is fascinating. I'm doing, I'm back to CNN full time, which I absolutely love. Um, and I am actually, um, 
doing and some breaking news stories as well. Um, and basically just having a great summer. I mean, I, I watched the Olympics. I did like everybody else. I was glued to the TV. My husband thought like something was wrong with me. Um, and just, you know, really enjoying the summer and enjoying basically things slowing down a little bit. I love the summer because it stays lighter longer. You can take walks later. You can do things, you know, with friends and family later. So, um, just really enjoying it. Not a whole lot, which is really good for me. Yeah. Because (laughs) I don't think you literally, well, you don't stop. No, I'm not. Since I've known you, you don't (laughs) stop. I don't stop either. Um, but I've traveled less, which is, I mean, here I have just been to a five tour of Europe, but my, family came with me right um i've traveled less now it's going to hot up again but um and that's great because a lot of the work that i've done has either been just a couple of days here or there and a lot of writing my book and a lot of the filming that i've been doing has been atlanta base which is perfect for me because you know my most important job Mm -hmm. um not that it's a job but you know what i mean my Mm -hmm. most important role in my life is being a mother to my child and being able to spend as much time as i can with her but you did so you finished the third book I did. And what's I that did. book? What's it about? What's How to it Train Your Dog Positively. Love it. Oh, and it's a just, it's a, it's a good book. Okay. Let me just say now, I'm not a great writer. All right. I know it. I understand it. I get it. But I have worked so hard on this book. I haven't had a ghost writer to write this book for oh, me. Oh, wow. Um, I have a great editor, mm-hmm. uh, who's made sense out of my jargon, but it, uh, it this book is just, I'm excited about it because it dispels all the myths out there, uh, that the sort of the common misconceptions that people have when it comes to training and dogs. And it also provides great positive solutions to all kinds of behavioral issues you might be having with your dog. Oh, great. Uh, and also highlights prevention as well, how to prevent any behavior issues from happening with your dog. So it's coming out March, 2013, um, with 10 speed press, which is a part of random house. And I'm excited about it. It's going to be on every shelf everywhere and available on the, online. So we'll let you know, we'll let everybody out there know when it's available, but yep. This Good is to know the book. because prevention is basically half the battle or if not it all is. the battle, depending, I know that with my dog, Cashmere, how we met on It's Me or the Dog, prevention would have been a lot cheaper for us than having to replace $10,000 worth of stuff in our house had we known what to do when. So I, I love that. I love that idea. I filmed that with you how many years ago? Oh Three my gosh. years ago? No, it was at least More? four. Four years five ago. Five years ago. <gasps> five? It had to have been five years ago because um, Sean and I were married about a year. We were newlyweds and we just celebrated our fifth anniversary yeah we're working on six years congratulations so thanks so how long ago would he film that for it's been five, five years. years five years ago so obviously Kashmir had a really big chewing problem now yeah. how is she after i came to your house <laughs> she's amazing she does not chew anymore unless she's given something to chew like a you know a bone or you know like a one of those kongs with peanut butter in it she can go to town Great. on that um, but I will tell you the biggest thing ever, and I'm going to get you this video so you can put it up on positively.com, your website, because the biggest issue that was really most upsetting to me, I mean, yes, things were destroyed, but things are things, but I had a cat and she just went after my cat all the time because she wanted to play, but the cat didn't understand that. Here it is, a big pit bull, American bulldog mix and a small cat. And it was like, seriously, when they say they fought like cats and dogs, it was not pleasant. Now they're the best of friends. And Sean and I laugh because we hear these noises all the time and you hear a thump, thump, thump from upstairs and every once in a while you hear a meow and you'll hear the heavy breathing and the whining and you think, oh my gosh, what's happening? And they're playing. The cat and the dog played together to the point where he, she will even groom the, the cat by licking the cat in that's what she does. That's her sign of affection with this cat. It's unbelievable. We have video of it. Every time it happens, even though for the past, I don't know, three, four years they've been doing this, it's getting better and better between them. We're still amazed that we just stand there and watch. It's, it's remarkable. And that is, I think the biggest thing for me and Uh, you can do it. You you showed us it can be done. It absolutely can be done. And so we will put a little bit of video. Yes. I'm going to give it to you. Yes. uh, On, on the website, that goes along with this podcast so that you can see George <laughs> yes. and Kashmir yes. together. Absolutely. And, um, you said that you were also filming. So, um, you're filming a new, you have a new YouTube channel. Yes, I do. Uh, I've been filming now for nearly a year now for eHow Pets, which is YouTube channel. And, uh, that is youtube.com slash eHow Pets. And it's a series of great training videos. So everything you want to know about training your dog, whether it's a puppy or an adult dog, 
just go on uh, eHow Pets, you'll be able to see. But also we're doing this great series called American Dog, where I go around America and I interview amazing people doing incredible things with their dogs and incredible dogs doing amazing things for people. The series is doing very, very well. It's extremely popular. And it's great for me to be able to do that because I... Of course, I love training, but I also love interviewing other people. Mm-hmm. That that more of that presenter kind of journalism aspect, which I've always been fascinated. My father used to be a journalist, so I, I guess I've inherited that desire and that love of knowledge from him and learning about other people and putting the spotlight on other people and not just me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That That's Absolutely. what I love. And so traveling around America and finding out about what other people are doing with animals is, is fabulous. And, if you go on that channel, you'll be able to see. I, I encourage you, please subscribe, and uh, you'll be able to get the updates as they come. And also great training tips as well, because I know I've watched it, and I've tried a couple of things that actually have worked in my crazy household, so I appreciate that. And um, one, of the, um, one of the amazing people that you've highlighted, we actually um, are going to talk to in a little bit. So let's try and reach her. Let's get the phone uh, ringing, and uh, let's give her a call. The Positively Hotline is ringing. We don't know what we're going to do. We have no plan. We're just here. Who's calling in this week? He went after her like she's made out of ham. That is interesting. That's exciting. Um, is somebody going to answer that? Hello? Hotline ringing. You're on your phone, and I don't think you're taking any of this seriously. It's the phone! Ladies and gentlemen, Our first guest of our Positively podcast 2012 is my very, very good friend, Jennifer Arnold. And she founded Canine Assistance up in Alpharetta, Georgia, or Milton, Georgia, I should say, um, which really is possibly one of the most incredible assistance dog organizations that I've ever had the honor of visiting. Um, Jennifer Arnold, welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, I know that you have met Holly when Holly was doing Atlanta and Company quite a right. while ago. Absolutely. Long time ago. Nice to, nice to see you, quote unquote, <laughs> again, Jennifer. Nice to see you too. So, Jennifer, I have had the privilege of um, coming up to Canine Assistance on many occasions, but I also filmed, as you know, with you in May with one of your, the graduating class um, of May ni- 2012. And, uh, was able to see how you train the dogs with the recipients. And, of course, I was blown away because not only because of the way that you've handled it, but, but also because of the way that you you deal with so many different problems, just from not just disabled people, but people with diabetes, people with PTSD, people with epilepsy. Can you please tell us how you founded the organization, why you founded the organization, what it does, and what it does for people, that that sure. would be great. Well, when I was 16, um, I was, well, I woke up one morning and got up to go to the bathroom and I fell on the floor um, and was diagnosed, my legs weren't working correctly, and I was diagnosed very shortly thereafter with multiple sclerosis, um, a diagnosis that's since been changed to sort of a related uh, condition, but I got, I needed to use a wheelchair and I just lost it. I didn't know how you could do things from a wheelchair. Um, and my dad had just read about the first organization in California, um, in the world that was teaching dogs to work with people who had physical disabilities. Um, and he contacted them and unfortunately they couldn't fit, uh, send a dog all the way to Georgia and they were very new. So my dad, it's something I will never forget. He sat on the edge of my bed one night and he said, maybe this is what we're supposed to do. If you need a dog to help you, there, there got to be other people around here who do as well. Let's do this. And unfortunately, dad was hit and killed by a drunk driver just two weeks after the first planning session um, for canine assistance. But my mom and I stuck it out and we finally started, uh, in 1991. So we teach dogs to work with people who have all sorts of different physical disabilities, um, with the exception of people who are visually who are visually impaired. Um, and we don't do a lot with people who are hearing impaired because honestly, we're not very good at it. So <laughs> we um, we do we work a lot with people who have seizures, who have epilepsy, and that's become kind of a niche for us. And we work a lot with people who use wheelchairs. And we've done some with um, psychiatric 
service dogs for post-traumatic stress in veterans. How, how, how is it for you on a daily basis working in an environment like this? I mean, you have camps. Do you have camps six times a year, is it? We do. Two-week camps six times a year. Um, is it overwhelming? Because, I mean, certainly visiting you, the amount of work that you have to do on a daily basis just <laughs> to raise the puppies correctly and to socialize them correctly and to keep an organization like that funded and running because, of course, the recipients don't pay for their dogs, do they? Neither they do, do they not. pay for their care. You do everything. In lieu of monetary payment, um, we request that every recipient agree to do a minimum of 60 hours of community service uh, in their home community. Um, so there's no monetary payment, but there is kind of a pay-it-forward philosophy there. And if a family cannot afford to do to provide, you know, adequate veterinary care or stellar veterinary care, excuse me, uh, and good food, then we will do that uh, for the life of every dog we place. And that's the hardest part. I mean, the fundraising is terrifying. Um, but that's how it is in the nonprofit world. It's just something that you you keep after. And it's so hard because it's not for me. You know, you I've learned not to open applications anymore because it just breaks your heart. I mean, thinking that it's money that's keeping, you know, this little boy who doesn't want to go to school anymore because he's embarrassed in front of his classmates from having a dog. It seems ludicrous. So... You know, money is a big part of it. And then if we didn't have an incredible staff and rock star volunteers, we just couldn't do it. Jennifer, let me ask you, how do you fundraise? I mean, how do you raise the money that you, that you have? We just beg. We just beg. <laughs> no. um, we have some, some foundation support, but mostly it's, um, you know, it's private donations. And so people could go to your website. They could contact you. They can donate money. They can. Absolutely. Our, our website is just canineassistance.org, uh, and our Facebook page is, you know, Facebook, and then it's Canine Assistant with no S. What I didn't realize um, until I met you, actually, was how rare among assistance dog organizations um, you are with your use of positive training methods only. I thought that you're raising assistance dogs or organizations that are training dogs to be to assist people are going to automatically use positive reinforcement, whereas that's not the norm, is it? It really isn't the norm. And I tell you what, I am I'm about to go to war over this because it should be the norm. And working dogs should absolutely lead the way in terms of what is appropriate treatment when working with dogs, and and we haven't. Um, and certainly it works better. I mean, it, positive reinforcement works better with with any dog, but certainly with assistance dogs where their compliance, when they're out in public with their child in a wheelchair, is entirely voluntary. Um, you know, you want a dog that wants to do what you ask them to do, not a dog who's afraid not to. Uh, and I'm hoping that we're going to see it change more and more um, as time goes along. Because I would imagine that could be very dangerous to somebody who needs the dog if it didn't, if it had the um, sort of dominance training. That would be very dangerous, especially for a child who might go to school with a service dog to help them function and to have this dog not do what this child wants because it's a life or death situation. Well, and and it's terrifying. I mean, I am, you know, I've gone beyond being upset with um, with sort of the what I consider to be the brutal um, training techniques that are that are being used, um, and now I'm I'm just frightened because I think we. When you when you continue to hurt a dog in an effort to get them to do something, I think we're doing psychological damage that that we've not really looked at um, before, but that can turn into something very bad and can create you know triggers where the dog becomes reactive uh, of something and can be dangerous. So I really you know I think it's just 
first of all, from a moral standpoint, there's no reason to be anything other than kind. And secondly, it, it, you know, from a safety standpoint, it's, it's better, safer. Can you talk about the different kinds? You know, we mentioned a couple of different ways that, uh, or reasons that you would have a, a service dog, um, like a dog who might uh, detect a seizure coming or diabetes. Talk a little bit more about these dogs and, and how this happens. Well, you know, with seizure dogs, um, we still don't have a definitive answer um, as to what it is they they are picking up on when they can anticipate that a seizure is oncoming. But we're getting very close. And and I, my personal opinion is that it is scent-based. Um, it certainly is a scent-based detection when you're talking about high and low blood sugars. And it's really quite simple for dogs to learn uh, to recognize those particular odors. And what about even cancer detecting? I know that that's been in the news mm-hmm. a lot lately. Dogs are, you know what? We are just about to discover all the incredible things that the nose of a dog really can do. And I hope that it will change the way that we look at dogs and will will make us treat them with more respect. But indeed, there there have been studies that show that dogs can detect breast cancer from the exhalation breath of a patient. Unbelievable. It is amazing. And also, you know, recently uh, we saw in the news, actually here in Georgia, it was back in May, that um, story about the uh, gentleman who was diabetic who walked into a Popeye's chicken restaurant and uh, was asked to leave because he had a dog. And he said it was a service dog, and they didn't believe him because he wasn't blind. He didn't seem to be physically impaired, and they asked him to leave. Popeyes did apologize and say that shouldn't have happened, and they did say they were changing the way they did things. So perhaps maybe in the long run that's a good thing because people are more aware of this. But talk a little bit about acceptance, as you would, um, of these service dogs and the fact that, you know, detecting diabetes – you know, you have a diabetic, you go into diabetic shock, you can be in a diabetic coma, it could kill you, that it's a serious situation. Well, I mean, and this this young man needed sugar. He stopped to get a sweet tea uh, because he was, he was, you know, having a low blood sugar. Um, he, he really could have been, you know, in trouble medically uh, because of their refusal, which is just crazy. We got to get over this now. I mean, it's been long enough that dogs have been accompanying people in public who don't look like they have a disability. Now every, I mean, we can't be reacting anymore. I think every major corporation needs to be, and every mom and pop store needs to be proactive in saying, you know, we recognize that dogs will come in with people who have invisible issues and we will welcome them provided the dog is behaving appropriately and really if somebody has a service dog you're not allowed to go up and ask them why because of course that's hipper isn't it right yes you're not allowed to ask them why you're allowed to say is this you know is your dog uh, an assistance dog and what does your dog do for you um, you can ask what the dog does for the person, and provided you know there's an answer, um, they have legal access. If, you know what? I do have a funny story that I have to tell y'all really quickly about a little boy who has cerebral palsy. He's a grown up, grown up now, but he was a little boy when this happened, and was nine years old. He has CP, and he used a, a motorized wheelchair, and you could tell by looking at him that he had a significant physical disability. And we were working with, um, we were working together. He he was working with his new dog, and we were at a mall, um, Phipps Plaza in Atlanta. And I noticed this older gentleman staring at us quite a bit. And the man got up finally and came over, and he looked at the little boy, and he said, Son, I have to tell you, it really touches me. Here you are hurt. And yet you're out training a guide dog for the blind. Oh, God. And without missing a beat, this little boy said, thank you, sir. I do try. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I tell you. you I mean, guide dogs are still what people think of. Uh, You know, but we're getting there. 
You know what touched my heart when we came to film with you in May? And if you want to see that footage, it's on my um, new YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Pets, which is where we do a a fantastic um, episode with you guys and watch some of the training that you do and meet some of the recipients. I met Charlie, and Charlie is permanently in a wheelchair. I think he was about eight years old, was he? Or was he a bit older than that? Okay, he was eight years old. And so um, he was he's going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, but how he, his mother was telling me how he had stopped wanting to go out because he was sick of people staring at him. Right. And that when he came to get his dog and start working with his dog, you all go to different places to continue the training with the dogs, um, with the recipients. And I think you guys went to the mall and Mm -hmm. he said he felt like a movie star because everybody was coming up to him and wanting to talk to him and meet his dog. And that's the change, not just even the, the physical things that this dog could do for Charlie, but also for that, just that, just psychologically, psychological, just how, how good it made him feel. It's great for the public. You know, I don't think people mean to be impolite. (laughs) But they don't know what to do with somebody who's different. And and so people either stare or they look away. And it helps having this dog as sort of a, you know, a, a bridging the gap for you. And most people will look and smile. Um, and that makes a big difference. And I was going to say, you know, um, as we talked earlier, you just came back from a European tour, Victoria. And um, it's amazing to me, too, in our country, in the United States, how – we look at dogs versus how they do in Europe. I mean, in many restaurants in Europe, dogs are not only accepted, they're expected. They can sit at the table or by the table. And here we, for some reason, are so freaked out about it when most of us consider them part of the family. Yeah, it really is odd, isn't it? I mean, just how how nervous um, people get about about dogs being in public. And you know, provided they're they're well mannered, I can't tell you how many times, in while training dogs, we've startled people, made them just jump out of their skin because they had no idea that one of our dogs was there. Mm-hmm. You know, they go under the table in restaurants and are beautifully well mannered. And they are, and you actually breed in your facility, you breed the dogs that you're going to be using for assistance dogs. And I know that a lot of people have questioned that and said, why are you breeding dogs? Why can't you just use dogs from rescue shelters or use booty breeds or whatever? Yeah, I mean, yes, you said that in the beginning. Tell us a little bit about why you breed. Well, you know, what really got, I mean, first of all, we were, um, as we grew, we ended up in sort of knockdown, drag out fights with breed rescues, um, in trying to, you know, in shelters. Um, we were adopting dogs who were otherwise quite adoptable. Um, and, and that's not the point. You know, I, the dogs would have, would easily get a home without us. So the idea that we were saving the dogs, which is really what was stuck in my brain, was not accurate. Um, and then as I realized, because obviously I, I adore dogs, um, once I realized that it's just too hard for the vast majority of dogs, some of them make it, but to take a dog who's been hurt, and if a dog ends up in a shelter, they have been hurt, period, end of sentence, and ask them to ride the train and go through the Atlanta airport is just too much. Um, So we start with our dogs when they're just, you know, pre-birth, but we really, we start with the super dog protocol at day three, um, and they begin their educational process, and um, we're... We are most years, we're around 97% of the dogs that we breed actually make it um, as working dogs. The lowest we've ever been um, was 94%. Is there a certain type of dog that you find is better as well, suited retrievers. for a suited dog? Or really, a service dog? Is there a reason for the retrievers versus, yeah. say, any other dog? Uh, retrievers love to use their mouths. And bless their hearts, that's what they have to use. You know, they flip the light switches in their mouths. They tug the doors open with their mouths. They have to retrieve. Um, They are large enough to be able to provide, you know, some physical stability for transfers or balance if that's needed. 
Um, and then they have that, I want to work with, with my person kind of attitude, which is really important. And honestly, public perception is very good of retriever breeds. There are other breeds, um, that, that would be infinitely usable. However, people are scared of the dogs and that's, that's not good to send an elementary school. Mm-hmm. So for a number of reasons, those are the breeds that seem to work the best for us. Now, you were featured on a PBS special through A Dog's Eyes, which I've seen, because I cried my way through most of it. Um, and you've published two books, In A Dog's Heart, Through A Dog's Eyes. And again, I cried through most of that, too. Uh, you really are not just a, a great person. You're a great writer, great with dogs. You really understand dogs. And I have to say, it's a privilege to know you. Um, one of your biggest fans, as well, is my daughter, Alex. And uh, we do come up to Alpharetta quite a lot and um, hang out with the horses and groom the horses and hang out with the puppies. Great for socialization. And I would encourage people listening to this podcast, please, if there's one thing that you want to, or one animal related charity that you want to donate to, please think of giving a donation to Canine Assistance. You can go to the website www.canineassistance.org. Your brother Gary Arnold works with you. He told me that it costs about $25,000 per dog to train one dog. Is that right? It That's training and training camp for the recipient and lifetime upkeep for a dog. So it's, it's not inexpensive. How many dogs do you usually train on a yearly basis or a monthly basis? Well, we, we have 122 dogs in training right now, and that's about average. Um, for us, we're able to place, you know, between 75 and 100 uh, a year. And you know what we're trying to do now really is our waiting list is, there's one of them, <laughs> our waiting list is enormous. Um, and so what we're, we are doing is um, we are encouraging people who are considering, um, you know, starting an organization, a similar organization, we're, we're holding workshops to encourage people to, you know, start organizations of their own to take some of that, that pressure off of the waiting list. How many people do you have waiting? Over 2,700. Wow. Uh, That's quite a bit of money that you need. It is. And we just, I mean, you know, we'll never, I mean, we can never catch up with that, which is why we need, you know, to have other organizations, um, that use, you know, the similar philosophy um, in terms of kindness to both the dogs and the people uh, that they work with. And we also are, you know, always in need of support ourselves. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing everything about Canine Assistance. And uh, we appreciate your time and what you're doing. I know there's a lot of people out there who have better lives because of you, and a lot more could if uh, everyone would just open up their pocketbook a little bit. So maybe before the end of the year, you still have time. It would be a tax write-up for a donation, and it would really make a difference in someone's life and in a dog's life as well. We appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye. Bye. Hey, Victoria, give me a fascinating furry fact. The aggressive bark is... Uh, thanks for that, I guess. I know what you're thinking. Crazy people, crazy dog. Did you provoke her? What did you do? Did you pinch her or something? Got anything else? A dog can hear sounds 250 yards away that most people cannot hear beyond 25 yards. They have great hearing. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, thanks for bringing Jennifer Arnold to the podcast. I think she's just such a wonderful person to do what she's doing, and she's just really amazing. I go up to Canine Assistance just to hang out and just to relax because I go play with the puppies. They need to have socialization, which is great. So, And uh, we also, my daughter and I, we go and groom the therapy horses because, of course, they have therapy horses too that people can go ride. Of course she does. She does everything. That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, earlier we talked about your European trip, and um, you said you went to Ireland. And I know there was a lot of controversy over a, a dog named Lennox. Um, sort of refresh everybody about the situation with Lennox and your trip to Northern Ireland um, where you saw the family and what happened. Well, Northern Ireland has 
a, a similar form of the Dangerous Dogs Act that has been in Britain for nearly 23 years now, since 1991. And pit bulls or pit bull type dogs are one of the breed types that are banned there. So if you own one or if you breed pit bulls, then you are committing an offence. And if your dog is found to be guilty of being pit bull type, it can be taken away from you and it can be put down. Um, it was a really difficult case and it sparked international outrage. I got involved in the case over a year ago now. Lennox had been incarcerated for about a year in isolation away from his family. And I was brought onto the case to review an assessment that was done on Lennox by David Ryan, who is a behavioral expert, because the family wanted my support. See what I thought. I reviewed the assessment, the video assessment that David Ryan had done and the written assessment and also the assessment that had been um, done by Peter Tallock, who was the expert, and I put that in, in, in uh, inverted commas, expert that was brought on by the Belfast City Council to measure Lennox to see if he was of pit bull type, which, of course, he found that he was of pit bull type, even though he's registered as a Labrador American Bulldog mix, and uh, his DNA showed that that evidence was not allowed in court. But... Lennox was taken away from his family two years ago, over two years ago, and his family fought to get him back. And unfortunately, they failed. And this dog had never been aggressive. This dog was a family dog. There was no issues. There was incidents. no issues with this dog. I mean, sometimes he barked at people coming by um, like a, a couple of most times. Dogs. Like most dogs, like my chihuahua does. Um, she, if somebody knocks on the door or, mm -hmm. you know, she's in the garden, she hears something, she'll bark. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had a couple of times when the family, they live in a pretty rough area of Belfast and it's a pretty dangerous area. So when they, they took him for walks, there were two occasions when they were in very difficult situations with a group of youths and Lennox lunged and barked at these people who were threatening his family. Protecting. Protecting. Now, to me... And to millions of other people like me, mm -hmm. that's not threatening behavior. It's that's not, not, that's not aggression. That's, that's protecting and, you know, defending yourself. Of course, aggression is part protection and defending yourself and, and your survival. But this, this, this was, this was not a dangerous dog. This was, this was un a, unprovoked. No, this was a dog that was doing what he needed to do, um, in order to be safe uh, from these people that were taunting him. So the great sadness of this case was that his family fought so hard to take him to, to get him back. But really, the day that the dog wardens came to take Lennox away was the day that the case was won. They didn't think that the family were going to fight to get their dog back. But the family did fight. And the family went to court and there was appeal after appeal after appeal to try and get Lennox home. There was worldwide attention, a petition signed by hundreds of thousands of people, and Lennox became the poster child for breed-specific legislation. This is what happens when dogs that are not dangerous are taken away from their families. And this is what happens when you demonize a certain breed. Innocent dogs are taken away from their families, and it causes a lot of heartbreak, a lot of tax dollars that the, 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 the uh, Belfast residents had to pay to f so that the Belfast City Council could fight the case. And what was so sad about it all was that it didn't matter that there were two very, very highly experienced behavioral experts, David Ryan and Sarah Fisher, that evaluated Lennox on two separate occasions and said that in their minds this was not a dangerous dog. It didn't matter. In fact, their, their, their testimony, testimony, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm probably not using the right kind of words, was almost thrown out as just being inconsequential. Yet the court went along with the testimony of, a, of Peter Tallick, who is a former police officer, 
who came to measure Lennox and found his measurements measured that of a pit bull type. Physically. Physically. And um, then came out bizarrely saying he's one of the most dangerous dogs he's ever met um, because as he walked out of the place where Lennox was held, Lennox jumped up and lunged at the bars and barked at him as he walked away. And he'd said he'd never, ever, ever seen a dog do this, ever. Apparently he doesn't get out much. Are you kidding me? <laughs> go, just go into any rescue shelter mm-hmm. and go see perfectly adoptable dogs. When you leave a kennel run, suddenly jump up at the door. Because they want to go with you. They either want to go with you. Peter Tallick's a pretty scary guy. He was probably scared of him and saying, go away. Or he could say, or he was saying, don't leave me. But because Peter Tallick's not a behavioral expert, all he saw was the dog that was being dangerously aggressive, barking at him and lunging as he, as he walked out of the shelter. Um, of the kennel run. What's amazing is a behavioral expert wouldn't know, and I say quote unquote behavioral expert wouldn't know that a dog that was living in a home with a loving family and suddenly imprisoned wouldn't have any kind of behavioral issues. He wouldn't be scared. He wouldn't be lonely. I mean, wouldn't a behavioral expert understand that this dog had been taken of course, out of the circumstances? He's not a behavioral expert. Right. He's a former police right. uh, police officer that measures dogs to be a pit bull type. In fact, he was not brought in to offer behavioral opinion, but he did anyway. And so the court went along with his opinion mm rather than the two behavioral experts that actually physically assessed Lennox. And this was what was so unfair and so unjust about all of this, is that, um, that, that they followed his, his professional advice. And, yeah, it's a well-known fact. I was very outspoken about the lack of credentials that this man had to actually offer a behavioral opinion. And because I was outspoken, I was... Um, I was at the receiving end of some very, very unpleasant things said to me by a number of people. Mm-hmm. And so this case really affected me in a big, big way, um, as well as everybody else who became involved. I know. I, from peripherally, I just read about it, followed you, followed everything was going on. And I can tell you that every time I read an article about it, my blood pressure went through the roof. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I not see photos that were posted online of Lennox with another dog in the kennels and Lennox with one of the women who said he was a dangerous dog or somebody who was evaluating him, basically licking her face? I've seen the whole evaluation that David Ryan did when um, the dog warden was there. Mm-hmm. And this was the dog warden that offered evidence that said she was frightened of Lennox, that she was one of the, he was one of the most dangerous and unpredictable dogs that she had ever seen. Yet, all throughout this evaluation, she's holding the other end of the leash uh, uh, where, with Lennox, and he's sort of just jumping on her lap and licking her face and always coming back to her to seek safety and comfort. She's stroking him. She's petting him. Really, is if this woman is so terrified of this dog, as she said so in court, if she's so terrified and this dog is so predictable and dangerous, are you really going to allow a dog to do that to you? Are you going to stick your face in a strange dog's face? What kind of behavioral expert, not knowing this dog, whether it appeared nice or not, what kind of an expert are you that you would put your face in front of a strange dog's face? Well, you know, I mean, unfortunately, that that's why, it, you know, I, I think this whole case was clouded in ignorance. Now, did, did they not use that video in court to, to ask her when she gave her testimony? Well, then what are you doing here? Why is it licking your face? Why is it on your lap? But, uh, you know, why don't you ask the court that? <laughs> I, I mean, it is interesting that the whole, no, no. I mean, the, both of those evaluations, they just might as well never have happened because the way that the, the, the court treated it was just evidence that just, oh, well, you know, what we've made up our mind. That's why I said as soon as Lennox was taken out of his house by the dog wardens, that case was lost. Wasn't also the picture of him with another dog, there appeared to be a picture where he was leaning. I, I, I saw a picture where he seemed to be with another dog, leaning on another dog. His head was on the other dog, and they were playing. There was pictures of them playing. Oh, well, he's she had... dog I mean, aggressive. No, you know what? The, he lived with two other dogs, and um, he has a... 
Uh, no, he wasn't. I mean, he had a good home life. And of course, you know, I met the family. I had the chance to go when I was in Belfast to go and meet and spend some time with the family. So much has been said about the family in a negative way by, of course, the people who are against Lennox. And we know who those people are. We know who you are. If you're listening to this, we know who you are. Mm-hmm. And you are involved in the case, a lot of you. And um, so we know that you're spreading vicious rumors about this family. Look, I had a chance to spend time. I've known them virally and on the phone for a year, and then I had a chance to spend some time with them. And I'm a pretty good judge of character. I'm a pretty good judge of people. And I can tell you, these people weren't pulling the wool over my eyes. They were sitting there bearing their souls to me. And these are good, conscientious dog owners. Were they a little upset when their dog was taken away? Yeah, they were. And you know what? I would have been too. Mm-hmm. To, for people to say, oh, and they, they used profanities when their dog was taken away and said all sorts of things. Oh, my gosh, you kidding? Try come and take one of my dogs away and see what I'm going to do. Of course, you're taking a family member. It was like taking one of their children mm-hmm. away from them. The devastating thing about this whole this whole issue is... The effect that it's had on the family, too. You have Brooke, who was 11 when her dog was taken away. She's severely asthmatic. We're not just talking a little asthmatic. We're talking about a child who's nearly died a couple of times because of her asthma. And, in fact, she's um, been able to do a new trial because she's so severely sick that she is uh, um, participating in a new trial to help control her asthma so she's doing a lot better now she's 14 years old um you just you talk to her about lennox she can't talk she she cries because it's so painful Mm -hmm. she's so angry this child will never get over it the other devastating thing is caroline barnes is a very very ill lady and um she had a few a few health problems while Lennox was there, but... That's the woman that owned Lennox. Yes. The stress on this poor woman Mm -hmm. since Lennox was taken away has been so much that now she has a number of stress-related conditions that will shorten her life considerably. Hmm. So not only is this, is Brooke, the daughter, now she suffered the loss of her dog, her mother is potentially not going to be around as long as she would have done if this hadn't have happened. So we're talking much more than a dog being put down, the injustice of the Belfast City Council, the injustice of the courts, the injustice of the behavioral expert that they got on. Um, And it's much, much more than that. It's talking about the the effect that it's going to have, breed specific legislation, the effect that it's had on that family, which is devastating. I went over, but before I went over, six months before, I had said, look, Here's a way out. Let me take the dog. We have a very safe sanctuary where the general public, even though this dog is not aggressive, but we will respect what you say and we will take it to a sanctuary in the western part of the United States where Lennox can live out the rest of his days in perfect safety and at comfort. At your expense. At my expense um, and the expense of some very, very kind people that we're going to donate some money to. Um he, there were a lot of different rescue organizations, I must sure. say, and sanctuaries that offered yeah. a way out. Some in Southern Ireland, too. And, because in Southern Ireland, pit bulls are not banned. Um, but in Northern Ireland, they are. So there were a lot of people that were offering help. But I came and I said, look, I will do this. And I could do it. Lennox's legal team bought me in. Now, there has been, been a lot of chit-chat that, you know, why did she come in anyway? She couldn't do anything. She's not allowed. As soon as the dog is deemed dangerous, she's not allowed to take it. But Belfast City Council could have made an application. Um, I came in when the case was still on appeal, and I came in with Lennox's legal team. So if I wasn't able to do anything, why did Lennox's legal team bring me in to, uh, to offer to the courts this thing that I will take Lennox on my expense, I will ensure his safety, I will ensure the safety of the public and take him to a sanctuary. And then this will, you save face. The family will be happy. They won't have their dog because the dog can't go back to them. But they all know that Lennox is living out his life in peace. But no, that was turned down too. I called Belfast City Council every day that I was there in Belfast. They just... Uh, pawned me off to a whole load of different people and just gave me all kinds of jargon about what, uh, you know, we couldn't speak about the case. Or, and then they said, oh, that so-and-so was going to call me. Nobody ever called. And the final thing I'll say about this is that um, I got a picture, Craig, 
sent me a picture who is the father of the family sent me a picture of uh, the plastic bag that and the box that they sent Lennox's supposedly Lennox's ashes finally they did because the great sadness of this as well the great sadness of this whole thing was that um they wouldn't even allow them to say goodbye to the dog before mm-hmm. he was put down. They wouldn't even allow them to have Lennox's body after he was put down. Um, and they wouldn't return Lennox's ashes or collar um, to the family, which I just think is just the, shows them to be the dregs of humanity. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't say it any nicer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um now, eventually, finally, they have some dog's ashes. Doubt it's Lennox's. Uh, why weren't the family allowed to see their dog before he's put down? Why weren't they allowed to have their dog's body, at least, to to take him so they ha- had their own cremational burial? Was Lennox still alive, or had he been dead for a while? Had something happened at the place that he was at, where he was a secret location, and that Lennox had actually already gone? There's a lot of rumours out there. And because I think the way that the council behaved i think there is a lot that we don't know and i think there's something happened that actually maybe lennox died a long time before july the 11th when we were told he was put down and can i just add one more thing i know yeah. i'm going on and on no now, but this is no, so enraged very important me. july the 11th was a very sad day um we knew that this was the day potentially lennox was going to be put down and um Actually, I heard from a reporter who called me and said, do you know that um, I've just had word from the council that Lennox has been put down? And I hadn't heard. And I called Caroline and Craig and their, their answering machine was on. So I left them a message saying, I'm so sorry. I just thought, you know what, they're probably bombarded by reporters and they're probably exhausted and they don't want to answer the phone and too upset. And um, I just said, I'm so sorry to hear about your boy. I'm so sorry. And I wish I could have done more. That afternoon, Craig contacted me and said, nobody from the Belfast City Council had contacted them. In fact, my message was the first time that they'd mm. heard that Lennox had been put down. Of course not. Can right. I, doesn't that just another example of the disgusting, inhumane way that the Belfast City Council handled this whole thing? How is the City Council uh, seated? Are they elected? Um, I, I don't know how... Are, are the... Are they elected uh, members? Are the city council members elected? Yes, they are. So I guess now it goes to the people of Northern Ireland. And, you know, you have to think, are these the people that you want representing you? And are these the people that you want to handle your personal situations? Because, unfortunately, it was the Barnes family. But who knows, it could be your family next. Oh, yeah. So I guess there's nothing, unfortunately, at this point that we can do for Lennox or for the Barnes family except to take this and use it as fuel to say it's not going to happen again. And the only way that's not going to happen again is that you vote out the city council members and tell them with your vote exactly how you feel, exactly how you would like things to be handled and if you want things changed. And I think, and I hope there were enough people following this story and reading a lot of the um, newspaper articles about it and listening to a lot of the radio shows um, about it, that you hope that there are enough people in Northern Ireland who are enraged and upset about this and that they will let their voices be heard to the city council by telling them to get lost next election. So I guess if anybody from Northern Ireland um, wants to prevent this and, and not want this to happen to them, that's the answer now. This is We move forward and here's the way to, to end things. As I was driving back from uh, to the airport, I had my husband and my daughter was with me, and um, we saw a rainbow in the sky. It was uh, very rainy when we were there, um, but this was a time when the sun came out, and um, it was a rainbow in the sky. And I looked up and I went, oh, that's Lennox's rainbow, because he crossed over the rainbow bridge. And um, my daughter said, oh, you know, he's he's in a place now where no one can touch him, where he's going to be happy and uh, where he's going to be safe. And I said, yeah. And um, Brooke gave her a necklace and she was wearing the necklace and she touched the necklace um, and said, you know, mommy, you got to fight. So little girls don't lose their, their dogs like Brooke did. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight the dangerous dogs out. We're going to fight breed specific legislation and we're going to win. I'm all for having dangerous dogs taken off the street, but I'm looking at behavior and not breed. Well, thank you for that. We know that you do fight for 
our four-legged friends all the time, Victoria, and thanks for catching us up on that. It was a really tough topic to talk about, but I think a lot of people needed closure in some way and a beginning for something else. So that is a, a good to know. A hard way to end our first podcast back, but <laughs> you know what? We I think Lennox. Yeah. I think Lennox is really going to change things now. The experience that, yes. uh, and it is. You know, it's changing in different states here in America, isn't it? I mean, some good, some bad. But I think it's something that we're going to talk about in later mm -hmm. podcasts as well, because I think it's it's obviously, you know, I want to talk about the film that I'm involved with, Beyond the Myth, which is all about breed-specific legislation. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. And we also really welcome, please, your thoughts on breed-specific legislation. Um, for, against anything, just please tell us how you feel. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, you can email us here at podcast at positively.com. Um, and by the way, if you want to find out anything about Victoria, more about this issue, anything about dog training, you have questions for her, visit the, um, her website, Positively.com. And when you hit Positively.com, you go slash podcast and you can hear some of the podcasts we've done in the past. This is our third season of them. We've had quite crazy ones. We've had some funny ones. We've had some sad ones. We've had um, all kinds of uh, crazy questions and comments from everybody. And if you want to find a trainer too, by the way, um, you can go to positively.com slash trainers. Um, we have, uh, Victoria has her Victoria Stillwell positively dog tra positive dog training. Yes. Positively dog trainers. Yeah. There team. I call them my positively Your dog team. training team. Uh -huh. They're, they're angels. Fabulous. They're, <laughs> fabulous. they're in Britain, they're in Italy and they're in the United States. So Perfect. please, if you need a trainer, hopefully there's one near you. Awesome. We'll see you next podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively Podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.